This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Hey, everybody, it is Drags, and this week on Red Sox Beat, I welcome back old friend, yes, not too old, but still old friend, Rob Bradford, covering the Red Sox and baseball for WEEI.com and Odyssey.com. Did I get that right, Rob? Yeah. I, I prefer to call it Audacity, but yes, no, no, it's Odyssey, Odyssey. Odyssey.com, A-U-D-A-C-Y.com, correct? Get it? Get it? Because audio, A-U-D. Uh, I, I do get the whole I get thing. It. The whole uh, thing. I, I, I get it, Rob. Thanks. Uh, You can, more importantly, you can follow Rob on Twitter at Bradfo as 85,000 other people do. You should be doing it as well. If you care whatsoever about the Red Sox, Major League Baseball, or anything having to do with New England, you should, uh, Rob is, you know, an outstanding follow. And in this day and age, Rob, of course, we should promote your podcast. Nah, don't do that. Don't do that. I won't. I no, mean, guys, you not... know what, Trags? I'm going to break the news right here. Whoa. Right on the on the Trags podcast. Yes. The, that the Bradfoe show has been dissolved into the live BP podcast. Okay. I was going to also promote that podcast I, and that no, I show. That. As... I appreciate that. But I didn't want to. I know that people have collector's items to the Bradfoe show, but we do the live BP show during yes. the year. And I just felt like, you know, we just should just keep doing it through the off season. So uh, we'll keep doing that, but I appreciate it as always. You wow. Breaking cool. news right yeah, off the bat. Yeah. I mean, look at this. So it's, you know, I have all these t-shirts, yes, right? Yes, you do. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, I mean, now let's go. Whoa. These are going to be like collector's Barry, items. These, are, these, yeah, these are going to be like Barry the Bears t-shirts from 1986. So, oh, yeah. I remember those. <laughs> yeah. I do. Um, so you can follow uh, Rob at Live BP Show as well. All one word. That is correct, right? Yes, that is correct. Live BP Show. Um, it's a uh, not only uh, podcast, uh, but it is also a baseball show on WEEI every weekend. Correct? Terrestrial radio, but uh, yeah, for the most part, you know, the off season, you know how it works. It's a miss, especially, you know, the prioritizing Mac Jones around here. Um, but, but no, I've always said this tracks <laughs> and you've heard me say it. One of the most popular sports in Boston is, is Red Sox off season. It I, is. Will, I will stand firm in that take. Well, that's a great leaping off point because uh, is Edward, Eduardo Rodriguez worth $77 million over five years. I'd say every other day, every other start he is. <laughs> so let's get, let's get out the uh, Trags abacus and figure out exactly what that means in terms of dollars and cents. I know he, you tweeted out he was one Oh, the Red Sox were one Oh two and 60, one Oh eight and 62. Yeah. In his starts. Is that right? Yeah. His uh, that's oh, well in his appearances. Yeah. Appearances. So that's, you know, and, and people, in the right when they say that wins and losses for pictures are overrated, they are. But I like wins and losses for teams when a pitcher 
like actually appears. Correct. Because it means that the starting picture is giving you a chance to win the game. Yes. Yes. And so there was something to that stat for Rodriguez. Now, when you talk about that contract, I think it's a good contract for him. And the reason why isn't because of the amount of money he made per year, because it's not even what he would make as a qualifying offer. I think I know what you're going to say. Opt out after two years. It's the yes. opt-out, right? I mean, yep. after, what, two years? So you you have the security, which is like every pitcher wants. You have the security of five years, which is, oh, my goodness. If every anyone told me that halfway through this year that Eduardo Rodrigo is going to get five years, I would be, say you're crazy. You got five years, and if he's really, really good, he's going to be 30 years old going back into free agency and making a ton of money. It's a good contract for him. And – a, he gets gets the new contract before the end of the current collective bargaining agreement, which we'll get to in a second and how it's going to impact. And if he does well, he'll have the, the stability of that, presumably, of the new CBA to work under those conditions. So it's a win-win for him. Yeah, I mean, you're right. And we're seeing this. We always hear... Well, the, the, the market's going to move quicker than normal, and it never does. It's been going the other way. And this case is obviously a, a different situation because of the, the, the potential lockout and CBA and everything else like this. But finally, you know, let's, let's embrace it while we have it before we get into the muck and the mire <sighs> of, of the CBA stuff. Like, oh, yeah, you know what? You have signings. I mean, you have that signing. You have the Jose Barrios signing. You have... Uh, which was uh, like seven years with Toronto, right? Yeah, yeah. The extension. Yeah, I mean, it's essentially, it's... yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. I mean, you have, you have that. It's so you have stuff and we haven't even had that. I mean, Noah Syndergaard, by the way, Noah Syndergaard, right? So the tracks, you know, you and I went through a lot of Red Sox off seasons and, you know, it was, Business is done by Christmas. Like business yes. is done by Christmas. That that is it. You know that you have the, the week after Christmas off, and you know that if anything happens in January, it's gonna be like minor league signings. Now, before this, I mean it was painful. It was to me, it was they really had should and they won't, they really should put some deadlines on this thing. Like, I mean, if you want to grow the sport and you want to get people excited, like they get excited for the NFL and the NBA, and right? Let's do it. I mean, let's put some. some I think that's a great on. idea, Rob. Yeah, I mean, it's just it's gone the other way. It's crazy that you go back last year, the significant signings that happened in late January and February, and let's be honest, tracks. By then, you're just kind of exhausted by the off season. Like now you have in November, you still sort of have the momentum of a baseball season, but not in February and in January. No. And it always used to be, you get the, you, you got January to kind of recoup really relax, kind of like in football where you get July to relax, essentially June and July, right after mini camp. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? Like, could, could you imagine in football, if you're like, oh, yeah, we're going to have all our big signings like a couple of weeks before the season starts. That would be suicide for a lot of the – there's no way that half of the teams could compete, which yeah. is kind of the case in Major League Baseball. Uh, but anyway, um, okay, that's the deal with Erod. 
he moves on. I don't think it's a big deal for the Red Sox because I think they are presuming that Chris Sale comes back and continues his momentum from the end of the regular season. They have Chris Sale. They have Nate Navaldi, who may or may not get extended, as you tweeted uh, out. I think. Well, they are going to they are going to talk to him until February. Or, right. I mean, or I mean, I should say both. I, I think it's my understanding probably is an agreement not to talk till February. And you know, we've. Uh, in, in case people don't know, Nathan Valdi will be going in his contract year, the last year of a four-year, $68 million deal. Um, but it is an interesting one because, tracks we've gone through all these different situations with all these different pitchers going into the contract years. John mm-hmm. Lester, obviously jumping to the forefront in that mess that yes. happened there um, and offering four and $70 million, you know, in, in playing that game. Essentially, Chris Sale was the, the answer to that, right? I mean, meaning... When when they extended him, that was ensuring that they didn't have that happen again. Frags, like it's to me, it's fascinating. Uh, Like this ownership group. (laughs) So you you know you really have not to like be long winded about this, but we have all the time in the world. So you have to go back to the Lester stuff. I mean, so living through that, it was you were offered four years, seventy million, which was a joke. Right. And they knew it was a joke, but that's sort of how they Lucino did business then, which is we're going to start really low. And he did it with other players, Ellsbury and other guys. We're going to see if you take it. And then we're going to go from there. They actually tried it with Jason Bay and he took it. And then they said, by the way, you have some bad knees. We're ripping it up. That's a whole nother story. But so with Lester, it was four years, 70 million. So you get into the year. Some some of the teammates were so pissed off about it. They leak it out, right? And so now everyone knows it was they gave this joke of an offer. So Lester's side doesn't want to counter. And this is during the season. This is in his contract year. Doesn't want to counter because they know they have to counter it like some, some place where they're afraid the Red Sox will leak it out and they'll look greedy. So it, it got off everything on the wrong foot. They never were able to recover. They ended up trading Lester. So flash forward to the Chris Sale thing where everyone knew they blew this. So finally, the year that Chris Sales going to his contract year, John Henry sits on the bench in Fort Myers and said flat out, yeah, we screwed up the John Lester deal yes. and we're not going to screw up this one. Right. Okay, so, so, so keep this in mind. It's important. So he said that in late February. So you know right then and there they're going to sign Chris Sale. Like you know that they like they like they're right. basically saying this, but here's the thing: people forget Chris Sale was running like he was injured the previous year. I mean, he was injured. It was in uh, 2000, 2018. 18, right? Right. I mean, he came back and got the final, but he was injured a good portion of the time, and you went into that off season really not knowing. That's when he went on the uh, disabled list. Uh, when it was called the disabled list, um, right. twice I believe in. August and September, something like that. Yeah, he, went he on the- came back. Yes, and you know, once again, it's but still, you went into that off season not fully knowing that he was was healthy, and then he comes back in spring training, and they're easing him back. And okay, so and anyway, they end up signing him to that deal at the very end of or right in spring training, but toward the end of spring training. And they say, you know, oh, like, like you said, we, we weren't going to miss out on this. But here's the problem with that deal was that, A, you didn't know he was healthy. 
And B, Chris Sale told me, I remember specifically what he told me, in London at a makeshift locker that was made of cardboard in some soccer stadium, he's like, in, in, in late June, I was coming back. Like, I was coming back. There was no way I was going to free agency. So here's the thing. They messed up twice. They messed up when it came to overreacting to the John Lester thing and signing him without knowing his health. And then they messed up because they didn't read the room. You have to be able to read the room if a guy is like saying, I'm not going to, I'm not going to go to free agency because I like it too much here. But it, all of it factors into like the approach now. Now you get to Nathan Avaldi, and I think that it's somewhere in between. They aren't going to do the whole like he was a hero in the postseason. Like those days are done, right? The Mike Lowell, you know, holding re-signed Lowell and the, you know, the Avaldi after 2018, those either they value him or they don't. And, you know, it'll be interesting because he's going to be in his early 30s. He obviously has a great, had a great year. Uh, undoubtedly a leader in that clubhouse. A guy who, by the way, you know can pitch well in the postseason. So here's the question I have for you, Travis. Let's spin this forward a little bit. All right. He signed, Avaldi signed a four-year, $68 million deal. If they came back and they said, we'll take the same deal, the same exact deal, would you do it? If I'm the Red Sox? Yes. Uh, I would not. Oh. I don't think I would. I think okay. there's enough. Look, I think Nate Avaldi is at his best, very best, and and worth his most value in the postseason. But I think you still need someone. Uh, I think you need a starter, a young starter or two to get you to that postseason. And I think I, I would not give him that much money. I think that at this stage of his career would be too much. Okay. I mean, that's fair. You're always obviously, I mean, like you said, I think it'll be 32 or something like that. I mean, he's so four years. Is a would lot. you? No, probably. It's tough. You know, it's, I would honestly, this is going to be a cop out. I would, I would see if I could get a little bit into the season and some players don't want to talk during the season. Like, you know, that happens. I would rather them invest that money in free agents under the age of 30 and also uh, invest heavily, do what Tampa Bay did. And I know, you know, where I'm going with this invest in the bullpen. Get, okay. get stronger arms in the bullpen because that's why they didn't advance this year. Yeah. So, and, you know, we had one of our producers write about this today, Brian Barrett. Yeah, it was pretty good about, and he's right, that you're right, Tracks. I don't disagree with anything you're saying. The Why everyone's focused so much on Erod and Verland or Wally and these guys, Heim Bloom's biggest thing right now is building that bullpen. It needs I to mean, be. It needs to be for a couple of reasons. Number one, you don't have you don't have the guys out there right now. Number two, you know what do you want to do with Whitlock? I mean, I can make cases both ways on. I I will make a definitive case in one way, and and you know where that would be. Open. Yes, close. Yeah. Setup guy closer. Way, which you know is it's an interesting one, right? Because about you know like ten years ago. It would be a no, it was the Daniel Bard thing, right? It's like, yeah. well, he presents much more value in the starting rotation. I than hate he does that argument. argument. But you know what? 
like maybe it was a debate then. Now it's like, you know, the way that things are lined up because your starters only are going to be allowed to go two times through the order. You desperately need a guy like him in the bullpen. Right. And so you're pitching him. Let's say you're pitching him three times a week instead of one time a week. So you make a good case. But Tanner Houck is going to be your number four starter. Who? Tanner Houck. Right. But again. Right. Like, I mean, it's going to be. Order. You, you got to get some relievers. It's going to be so, Sale. Right now, it's Sale, Ovaldi, uh, Pavetta, and right. Tanner Houck. That's, and then see what happens with the fifth. Yeah. And, 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 but I think, again, you can't discount, to your point about the bullpen, you can't discount that these guys, it's just not how it used to be. I mean, I, the amount of times, I forget how many times they, they had their starters pitch seven innings. I think it was like 12 times or something. Like it, was, mm-hmm. it was ridiculous. I mean, and, and it, it's just how it is. And I think that Cora has embraced this certainly more than he had three years ago. Um, but you need the arms to do it. You talk about Tampa Bay, like, yeah, okay, that's how they do it. Now, I think that you've got to be careful, really careful, about not falling in the trap of like saying we're going to be like Tampa Bay because I think Tampa Bay. What happened is, as much as we applaud them, no glass now, glass no, now, no, right? No, no, yeah, no, no, no Morton. But you know what happened, Trags? You run out that many arms, that much out of the bullpen. What happened in the postseason, and really, what happened in September? I think I know what you're going to say. The, the arms get exposed to the. And, and the hitters make adjustment. Oh, Nick, they'll also wear down. I mean, like Nick they Andrew. will wear down. But to me, Rob, the bigger problem with that whole strategy is, and and I know Tom Verducci made this point to ca- kind of counter Ken Rosenthal on a broadcast, and I loved it. It's great to start pulling these pictures after in the fifth inning, and you know, make the argument that they they're approaching their third time through the order. But what happens is these relievers, especially in the postseason, get more and more exposed. The hitters make the adjustments and it plays to the hitters advantage. The whole idea of having a bullpen late in games is to have these arms at maximum effort and the batters uh, seeing them for the first time through. Right. You're right. And, and to your point, to support that argument is that, how many pitchers do, do relievers usually have? Two, right? They have two pitches, usually. Yes, some three, right. But if you're running out a guy and say, hey, you know what? Here are the two pitches that you're going to have to guess on, then all right. But it, I, I do think that, you know, like I go back a couple of years ago, you know, when they were running, and that was only a couple months season, but oh my goodness, they were running out Nick Anderson. Like by the time he came in for Blake Snell, his arm was hanging off. And, and he had pitched a lot the year before. And and this year, you, you know, not everybody in that bullpen, but a lot of guys in that bullpen had sort of been exposed too much. So I, I think this, you can still do it, but you have to have those anchors in the starting rotation. You do. I mean, you have to be able to have guys who you know are going to go five or six. I'm not saying seven or eight. I'm five or six. So, and I do think the Red Sox probably – have a core group of that. Although, you know, like I have convinced myself tracks, I have tied myself into this knot um, of excitement. I, I would give early into the deal. I, I'm like, yeah, I so, And I, I would go to the extent, and they won't do this probably, 
I don't even mind three years. Like, I don't even mind three years for Verlander. Like, I, I actually think that he'll live up to three years. That you're talking about he'd be 40 by the end of the deal. Oh, I'd be into his 40s, yeah. Right, or 41, something like that. He's, he'll be he's, uh, he's 39 now. He's I mean, 39? I yeah. thought he was 38. Uh, 37, no. 38. So, but so he's one of these guys and you know listen this just saying it doesn't mean it's going to be true but he definitely is one of these guys who has shown an ability to evolve right he evolved when he went from detroit to houston he's now he's evolving physically he works out at you probably know this guy eric cressy you know eric cressy yeah, i've heard the name yeah eric cressy's performance center yep. inner help works out down there he actually works for the yankees now a great guy but he, he works out there and, and Verlander said, I want to do the Brady thing. I want to pitch till I'm 45. And I believe that I'm not saying he can pitch till he's 45, but for the guy that he is having taken care of your elbow. So the, the, the prevailing thought is that you wouldn't have to worry about that part of your body. Then I would take that chance. And that's the guy, that's the type of fit instead of, you know, taking a flyer on the Martin Perez or Garrett Richards again, give me Verlander. That's, you know, I, I'm probably not in the majority, but I don't care. Uh, I am speaking with the one and only Rob Bradford covering the Red Sox like nobody else does for WEI.com. He will be all over the hot stove this winter and keeping it cooking. See what I did there and yeah, uh, nice. making sure you are up to speed. Follow him uh, on Twitter at Bradfoe. Bet Online is back and better than ever. A new web interface for the start of basketball season and more props, odds, and lines than ever before. Bet Online remains your number one spot, numero uno, as they say, for all of the basketball and football action this season. Head to our new updated desktop or mobile website to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use our promo code CLNS50 to receive your bonus. That's CLNS50 to receive that bonus. From basketball, football, baseball, hot stove, NHL, boxing, and UFC, right on down to your favorite Vegas casino games. Don't wait to take advantage of all of the amazing offers available for the 2021 season. Bet online is the fastest and yes, easiest way to bet all of your favorite sports. Bet online where the game starts. Back with Brad Foe of WEI.com. Paint me a picture, please, Robert, of how Carlos Correa ends up at Fenway Park playing for the Boston <laughs> Red Sox in 2022. Do it. Go. Uh you know, it, it would just me be taking a bucket of paint and destroying it against the canvas and like, oh, sure, whatever. I mean, it's. He's going to probably wind up in Detroit. And, and I like, I can't. And maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. I know they're like, oh, the Red Sox are quietly pursuing these guys. <laughs> but but you got to weigh in Bogarts in this situation. I'm sorry. You have to weigh this so, in. So, but the, but the theory goes. Bogart yeah. stays. At, it's like the Jeter situation with A-Rod. Uh, Bogart's bogey stays at short and Correa is willing to move because it's okay. Alex. Cora. You think, okay. <laughs> See that to me, that's not even plausible. Because, Why? Why not? Because a guy has the opportunity to pick his team, to pick his team. Right. right? And you know what also comes with picking your team is picking your position. And I'm going to give you an example of this. And it's Marcus Simeon. Marcus Simeon went into last year, last free agent class, 
and he desperately wanted to be a shortstop. And what happened? He didn't have any options. His best option was a one-year deal playing second base for the Blue Jays. Right. Now, does anyone think that Correa is going to have the be in the same situation as Marcus Simeon last year, where he's like, you know what? I'm going to pick this team, but I'm going to have to play second base. Once again, I'll preface this by saying, maybe I'm totally wrong. I don't know Carlos Correa at all. I don't know him at all. Maybe he has this great relationship with Cora. You know, maybe he sees that. But However. The other, but the other part about this, Trags, is that, yeah, okay, sure. You're playing this out. We're saying Correa is playing second, Bogart's playing short. Well, no, I, I, or, or, or third base and move Devers okay. to first. All right, this is where it comes back to Bogart's. Do okay. you – Bogarts is what you I think I don't know how you feel honestly like like I would like to see Bogarts stay a Red Sox I would I would like to see him stay a Red Sox for all of time like I think that he's that type of player I do think he has more years at shortstop in him I do a great shortstop no but a good enough shortstop yes but with that opt-out that he has after next year to me if there's any hint that, that they uh, want him to I see where you're going. Okay. Second. Yeah. He's gone. Like, he is gone. And maybe they're, like, saying, hey, you know what? Okay. Oh, well. Because we have our number one prospect, Marcelo Meyer, coming yes. up by 2025, and it's not going to make any difference anyway. So it's, like, I just don't think that they want to move him off shortstop um, sooner than – rather than later. See, the way I look at that is, uh, first of all, I think it's very comparable to A-Rod. A-Rod was clearly the biggest free agent in 2004, right? I mean, going into the 04 season or 03. 03. It was 2003. And A-Rod said, look, I will play third. I'll make that move. It's, to me, an almost identical situation, Rob. It's almost identical to for, the, for who though for Correa or Bogarts. Uh, it's an identical situation for Correa. So he would come to Correa Boston said, ah, and uh, and play third base. Now, what I do buy, Rob, is that Bogey would get a little paranoid that oh, I know what you're doing. You know, like I Peter, have an like Peter did right. Yes, right. Yeah, that's true, but. If you if you extend Bogarts or if you if you give him some type of kiss to make him feel better, it, or you decide, look, Bogey, if you're that upset, you can opt out after next year. We have our ducks in a row, and we're going to move forward. Because if if it comes down to signing the best possible player on the market, and you can do it, you do it. That that's my my approach yeah. to the whole thing. All right, and and you're right. It's like you know we're not going to do the Lou Gorman. What would we do with Willie McGee thing, right? You know, <laughs> right. You get, you get, you get, I'm sure my age, but no, I I very much remember that. So you get you know you get talent. If you can get talent, you get talent. You can convince Correa that's fine. But there's a couple. You know we focus so much on Bogarts. This is such a complicated scenario, and maybe it's not, but in my in my mind, it is because of Devers. It's not only Bogarts; it's Devers. Mm-hmm. All right. Mm-hmm. So, so you can say, well, Devers is just going to be the DH. Well, you know who becomes a free agent after 2023? Rafael Devers. And so, th- 
you have that situation. Where's he going to play? Because guess what? You have your best prospect coming up at first. Tristan Cassis. Yes. Right? So it's not like you're moving Devers over there. You don't want to pay Devers to be a DH. Like, who's going to pay a guy $300 million to be a DH? Probably nobody. As good as a hitter as he is. So you have all of that. It's it becomes it like it just becomes really really complicated the whole situation and i get it you know like and i will say this i wouldn't be shocked if we get to opening day next year and either xander bogarts or rafael devers is playing for another team i would not be uh, shocked by that either actually oh because because all these scenarios that we're talking about Bloom knows them yep, <laughs> he, knows he sure them. does and He's not afraid to deal, guys. I, so, by the way, now that you mentioned High and Bloom, what is his approach going to be heading into December first? Because the CBA expires, I think everybody knows that. Is he going to take the mindset that Jeff Passan alluded to uh, from Carlsbad in the GM meetings that um, he does not want to be left high and dry, right? Uh, come a February frenzy of free agent signings or even, you know, March before the uh, season begins, is he going to be aggressive in the next couple of weeks to make sure that the Red Sox are covered in terms of the free agents they are really targeting? Good question. You know, so, so all we have to go by so far, Trags, really is uh, the, the Eduardo Rodriguez deal, you know, the various whatever, the, uh, but, um, but in Syndergaard. And to me, it speaks more of like the players reacting more than the teams. And I think it's, we haven't seen like, so the impetus on, is on the players or the motivation is on the players to get the deals done more than the teams because the players feel like maybe they're going to make less money. And if that's the case, the teams are going to like, Oh, we have to pay less money, you know? So, but you know, at the same time, if that's the case, you get the deals, the good deals while they're out there. So I, I'm not really answering your question because I don't know. I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm so scarred by the last few off seasons, and I know they're completely different. But I'll, I guess I'm saying I believe it when I see it. You know, I would love for them to go get them. But look at what he did last year. I mean, those deals were late. Late. Yeah, they were. Perez and Garrett Richards and – and uh, who am I missing? I mean, Kike Hernandez was a, it was a January. And when, when was Hunter Renfro? And Hunter I'm going to might have been one of the earlier ones. Okay. Because he was non-tendered by the Rays. Rays, right. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, uh, and I wouldn't be surprised if he's traded, by the way. Okay. So I'm going to uh, slip on into the uh, next subject yeah. and one of our final subjects, because I know you got to run. Seiyu Suzuki. Mm everything you know about him and how Hunter Renfro plays into that. Uh, he's a right-handed hitter. He's a 20, 27, 28. I forget now. 27. But, yeah. 27. According to Rob Bradford, a W. Yeah. yeah. Doctor. Well, it must be true then. Um, he, uh, he's won five gold gloves. He can play right field, not necessarily a center fielder, but a good fielder out there. Hit 38 home runs far and away. The best hitter coming out of Japan. Um, an international competition like was and I remember watching him play I think it was the Olympics it was like okay you know like they are pitching around this guy they know how good he is 
he's he's seemingly a legit guy. The Red Sox, as I wrote, like I've scouted him thoroughly. And I, I think that is sort of a code for they are going to be interested. Um, they couldn't, they can't really say too much about it, even off. He has been posted, I believe, right, as of as of this yeah, taping. Yeah, yeah. So, um, but you know, we'll find out more. But I think my educated guess on this is that if they had their choice of getting him and dealing or keeping Renfro, they might get him. Like I think that they look at Renfro as a really good player at $3 million, but at $7 million, eh. I mean, is he going to repeat the number? I mean, he put up career numbers this year. and Yeah, but, you know, it's like that last image of him. I mean, yeah, that's, throwing. <laughs> that's unfair to him, but it is such a terrible, terrible ALCS. And, you know, he's a good player to have, but you, you also have to remember, I mean, number one, yeah, he played above the back of his baseball card. It was a good year for him. No question about it. Mm-hmm. But you have to be a little bit wary. And I think that this is where Schwarber comes in, maybe. Like, people say, well, what is Schwarber's going to fit? you are got to remember, I mean, going into last year, Franchi Cordero was in the outfield rotation because he hit from the left side. So, you know, I think that there's still, like, there still is that dynamic of maybe Hunter Renfro isn't the absolute everyday guy. It's hugely valuable. But at $7 million, if they can get a guy who they feel is a notch up, they're going to go get him. Uh, who is, um, and I can't remember his name, and I'm going to probably have to look it up here, Lenny Randall. Or, I can't remember his name. Lenny that, Randall. Great, <laughs> yeah. Lenny Randall. No, the, uh, the bench player that, that Alex Cora loved this year that nobody could ever understand why. Oh, Danny Santana. Lenny. Danny Santana. You know a lot of people in the press box tracks were saying that <laughs> Danny Santana is a modern day letting Randall. I'm sure they were. I'm sure they were. Um, yeah, I, I never quite got the, the Danny Santana oh, usage. Get in, get in line. I mean, we're going to look back at like, in, 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 in Cora's defense, there wasn't, there wasn't a lot of options when you get to the end of the end of the bench there at the end. But, you know, we're, we're going to look back at that. Danny Santana was on the playoff roster. He scored a a reasonably important run in one of the last games as a pinch runner. I I can't remember the game. Also, he he pinch hit, and it was like he had no chance. Well, zero chance. He was a pinch runner. I mean, that's. I mean, he was a pinch hitter and he was a position player. But my point is, but he wasn't even like you know, like, and we've seen those postseason pinch runners, the Quentin Berries, Dave Roberts, Dave Roberts, right? No, um, I forget one other. They actually one was Marco Hernandez in two thousand six. Yeah, I mean, and he was wasn't good at it, but they used to have those guys. Who was the who was the former Red Sox with the great Cavs, Mike? um, Mike Avilas. Yeah, Mike Avilas. Whatever you want to, yeah, yes, yeah. Who could forget? I mean, that's that anniversary is coming up, Trags. Ten years, by the way, Trags. Yes, we can't tell the story, but we can hint at it. Yep. When all the Pedroia stuff was going on, and the Pedroia, Bobby Valentine. That's not how we do things here. Oh yes. You and I both know the real story behind that. Yes. You were the one that came over and asked the question. Right, correct. Right, correct. Yes. 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 
And he was, and, yeah. And it was not, he was not blindsided by that question. No, he saw it coming. Yes. He definitely <laughs> yeah. saw it coming and he knew yeah. what I was getting. But it was, but that was, that was crazy. You know, the 10 year anniversary of like, that was two weeks <laughs> in the season drags. That, oh my goodness. I would love a 30 for 30 on that season. Uh, that would be awesome. Hey, you know what I did not do? Speaking of Bobby Valentine, I didn't check whether or not he won uh, the mayor's race in the city of Stanford. Okay, because my sister lives one town over in New Canaan. Uh, by the way, we should do this and kind of a solemn note. But uh, speaking of former Red Sox championship teams of the past, Julio Lugo passed away uh, of an apparent heart attack. He was only 46. Uh, your memories of Julio, Rob, and uh, you know, he was very tight, of course, with Manny uh, Ramirez and, and others in that clubhouse, David Ortiz, obviously. Yeah, I think that I was trying to remember this today. I think when Manny hit his 500th home run that he gave the bat to Lugo. Like, I believe, Really? Yeah, I think he did. And, um, yeah, I think a popular guy on that team. Um, you know, it's funny because – you know, the I remember talking to Joe Madden the year before. He was, so Lugo was going to be a free agent. He was playing for Tampa. In 06. Yeah, and Joe Madden said, you know, like, I think a guy like Lugo would really thrive in Boston, the big stage. But you just don't know. I mean, you just don't know. And I think that it wasn't a perfect fit for Lugo. It, it really was. There was a lot of pressure. It was a three-year, $36 million deal. Um you know, he had a good year the year before, especially I think he was traded to the Dodgers. He had a good second half. Uh, but still, you know, a, a, a guy who played in 147 games for a world championship team. You can't forget that. And the thing, and you know what I'm thankful for, is that the thing that I remember about Lugo is the last time I saw him, which was at the alumni game where number one, he hit an absolute piss missile off Pedro Martinez. Like, oh, my God. Yes. I mean, if the StatCast thing was running for the alumni game, it would have been like 500 feet exit velocity of 120 miles an hour. It was crazy. And you know what Pedro would do? Pedro, it, you know, is all fun and games. He's a terrific analyst, by the way. I love listening to Pedro on TV. But he would like look in and, and, and kind of give kind of a glare that was humorous, but not really. You know what yeah. I'm talking about? Oh, go back. Go do this. Go to Twitter. Search Lugo Pedro, right? I did this yesterday. And one of the videos that comes up is Pedro on the broadcast after. So it was during the game, the real game, and saying, hey, listen, you know, like, if he got up there again, I would have, like, basically I would have hit him. <laughs> like, he's like, he, he would have, I would have nod to him, here it comes, I would have hit him. And that's how it was. But, you know, but the overall point, not only with a home run, but what I remember about Lugo seeing him that day was I don't think there was anyone happier to be there. Like, and a lot of guys were happy to be there, but he was, he had some, some like things that were happening in Boston. It, it is a tough place to play. And, like there's going to be times you catch guys at the wrong time. Yep. But no question. I tell you what, man, like that day, he was so happy, so friendly, so outgoing. It was, and, and that's, like I said, thankfully that's what I remember him. Cause I don't want to remember like those, like, the, the peaks and the valleys of the three years in Boston. Like, it, yeah, there was like, some good times and there were some bad times, but that, that I, I just remember, I always remember that he, 
there is this, you want these guys to be happy, but this guy was so happy to be returning to Boston, be around these guys, and especially to hit the home run. Uh, I'm going to lead, uh, I'm going to end this on a, a more quizzical note, if you Ooh. will, Rob. If Laz Diaz calls that strike three for <laughs> Nathan Avaldi, the Red Sox in the World Series? Yeah, I think so. I do too. I, I think it was. I think, the, I think there's probably a manager out there that thinks so too. Yeah, I think. I, I think you know his uh, initials might be Alex Cora. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. or his full name might be Alex Cora. But it's it was such a tracks. You gotta explain this to me. You you are like you are great at this stuff, like about you know the inner workings of baseball. Well, how do they not just say? Okay, here's the championship series. Here are the two best home plate umps. Here, here, okay, here's here are the four best home plate umps. Two in each series. You're gonna rotate them in, and you're gonna call the games instead of the like. No, well, what we gotta do is we gotta play musical chairs around the diamond until the and the veteran guy has to get his one crack at it, like. It is unbelievable. Like this guy, and I don't care what baseball says about war analytics. No, this guy had a terrible year. Correct. And there was one tweet, and I can't remember who it was from. Uh, I, I believe it was a national baseball writer who outlined how many missed calls he had that night. And it was remarkable. And then I saw the rationalization, Rob. He had like 24 missed calls. And the rationalization was he was bad for both teams. I don't want bad for both teams. I want competent for both teams. How, is that too much to expect? Like to your point, you should have the, you buy analytics. You have totally the, uh, the ability to choose the most consistent umpires. And yet we wind up with Angel Hernandez and Laz Diaz in the postseason. Yeah, there's Seriously. A, there's a big difference between the umpires like, well, he's consistent and he's going to give him that strike or that ball at that part of the play every single time. There's a difference between that and what we saw with Laz Diaz. Laz Diaz, right. it was no rhyme or reason. It was, you know, missing key calls. I mean, and, and I know that the Valdi call, like people, it wasn't like, to me, it was, yeah, it was, I think. It, it ends was, the inning and there was a bottom of the right, ninth and, and it, was it was a tie was, game, was I get that. It was an easy call to make. Now, the even easier call, which a lot of people focus on, was the one that J.D. Martinez had, which wasn't like was even a worse call. But let's not paint that as impactful as the Evaldi one. I mean, Evaldi one was, to your point, like, I think that they could have very rarely like, gone on their way from there. So, yeah. Yeah, and, you know, the Astros scored seven runs in the and <laughs> um, whatever. Uh, it would have been a two-two game, bottom of the ninth. Uh, it's been really fun catching up, Rob. I I appreciate you taking time out. I appreciate deep drive and chasing Steinbrenner behind you. I have both in my library off to my. Well, you can't see it. That's my main library. But as I've told Ian Brown on this podcast previously, I'm going to turn over here, and there's a library right behind me. And in that library are my most hallowed, cherished books. Oh. from bill walsh bill belichick um paul brown yeah ian brown and with an e 
and Rob Bradford. And both of those publications behind you, on either side of your uh, lovely dome are in that library. And, and uh, so I'm working on another one, Trags. And I'll just say this. One of the people who were interviewed for it that has a passage in it is a fellow Cincinnati uh, Reds baseball fan um, hmm. who is also an actor. Uh, and not a singer. I was going to guess Nick Lachey. Maybe, he, maybe he's on the dock. Oh, I think I know. I think I know. Um, I have his face. Um, Char um, Charlie. Um, no, not Charlie Sheen. Not Char That would have been my guess, Charlie Sheen. That Rob would have been my Rob Lowe. Oh, okay. Rob Lowe. I should have known that. Yeah, Rob Lowe, who says that Tommy Lasorda took out a picture. <laughs> this is going to be great. Purposely took out a picture just so he could walk back to the dugout to see what Rob Lowe was saying. <laughs> okay. That's awesome. Well, it's been great catching up with you, Rob. Yeah. Anything else you want to uh, plug, promote? No, no, no. I just want to plug this podcast. Thanks for having me on. We, you know, we could talk all day. And I look forward to when we can see each other in person once again, perhaps. Uh, Patriots we, hosting the Bengals in a playoff game. Ooh, How about that? Look at that. There could happen. Go. That could actually very well happen. I was going to say the media, next media game where we can team up again, the greatest battery of all time. Um but uh, yeah, I'll settle for uh, yeah. Pay I tell you what, you know how I hate going to Patriots games, but if they do that, I will go. Just I do. That is a fact. Lock okay. Yeah. And uh, you know I'll be there, um, but I better see your uh, yes backside I'll there. All right, yeah. you can follow uh, Rob on Twitter at Bradfo, and you can follow his podcast and should subscribe to it. How Rob? Just live BP. Go to a live BP uh, show. I don't know. I mean, all I know it's is at, well. I'll help you out here, Rob. Yeah, it's uh, live BP. Steve. It is at live. At live BP show is all you have to know on Twitter. Yeah, live BP fun. show was, one word. Yeah, it's it was. We did it all off uh, all season long. Um, did it with Steve Peral. A lot of people know him from Section Ten. Now he's moved on to our aforementioned audacy.com, odyssey.com. Odyssey.com. A-U-D-A-C-Y.com. Odyssey, yeah. It is, I'm just kidding. It's Odyssey, yes. Um, but uh, it's a lot of fun to do. And um, I like talking, as as this has uh, shown once again, I like talking about this stuff, easy to talk to, and makes it even easier talking with you, Tracks. You're the best, Rob. My former boss and lifetime friend, Rob. Bradford. How about that? Well, I want to thank Rob for joining me on this edition of the Red Sox Beat. Also want to thank our terrific sponsor, betonline.ag. For the one and only Rob Bradford, I'm Mike Petralia, and this has been the Red Sox Beat Podcast powered by CLNS Media.